We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? Think what you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in a I want to that might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> When the 1-6 insurrection happened, you were not yet inaugurated, right? Three days before I was sworn in. Did you feel under threat that day? or? or oh, hell yeah. Will, will the, the, <laughs> tell me what that Absolutely. day was like for you. Yeah, so we were told to get to the office early um, because uh, we knew there was going to be a Trump rally. And we know how those rallies can get crazy. So we were told to get to the office early and remain in the office throughout the day while we certify the election results. So we were told to do that. So I stop at a cafe, get my, my breakfast sandwich and coffee, and I go to the office. When I come out the cafe, I see someone dragging a giant wooden cross down the street, getting ready for this Trump rally. So that that was the that was the tone that was set from the beginning. Did that sort of so strike was, some fear in you? Like this is a well, little crazy. Well, 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 not fear. Just like holy shit! Like what the hell? What the hell is about to happen? Like you know, I I, I watched Mississippi Burning and read history books, and you know, I know a little bit about history, and this was that, right? I mean, we saw the the noose erected outside the Capitol to hang Mike Pence, so. It, it was on and popping uh, for them. But I was in my office, thank God, safe most of the day, watching it on TV like like most of us. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, my thinking was, and at one point I tried to leave my office and leave the area because I'm like, man, if they turn around and come over here, there's, no, there's nothing. That, we have like two officers downstairs. There's nothing to stop them from getting to us. Uh, but unfortunately, we were on lockdown and I couldn't leave at that point. But yeah, it was pretty, it's pretty crazy, man. Jamal Bowman is a first term congressman from New York, representing New Rochelle, part of the Bronx, upper New York. He's a brother who loves the Wu-Tang Clan and Nas and loves democracy. He's a true progressive. He's part of the squad. And I love t- 
talking to him about politics because he deeply understands how the Republican Party is helping destroy democracy, but also how corporatism is helping destroy the Democratic Party. There's so much to dig into. Let's go. This is a former teacher who has become a congressman. It's Jamal Bowman on Torre Show. So are we in the last days of democracy? Because it sure seems like, no. you know, the, the democracy is, is ending. So, no, we're not. Um, but, you know, but we got to get to work because there are some very powerful people, very powerful actors, very powerful interests who want to end democracy as we know it. Absolutely. That is a thing. And it's happening States across the country is happening in Congress is happening with some very specific lobbies. So like the, uh, you know, the fossil fuel lobby, uh, the pharmaceutical lobby, uh, the 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 corporate lobby, if you will. Yes, they, they don't care. if Democracy goes away. It's interesting you located in lobbyists because I feel like the Republican Party itself is an enemy of democracy. Before we even get to the the money interests who obviously want to shape things for the wealthy, the Republican Party is beyond dysfunctional and wants it, it. It doesn't want to participate in democracy whatsoever. So, can we even have a democracy if one party is like, "Screw this system. We're just going to throw bombs. We're going to eliminate, you know, obstruct everything. We're going to stop everything." Like, how, how does that work? Yeah, you're right. So they have been obstructionists. They have not been willing to govern uh, throughout this session. Uh, Trump was a major part of that for obvious obvious reasons. Um, over the last couple of weeks, though, we, we are hearing more reasoned conversation from conservative Republicans who seem to be past Trump. So we're hoping that's the case. But um, the reason why I bring up the special interest first is because there are also Democrats who are leaning in a direction where they're supporting more of the, you know, what the corporate interests are trying to do and not supporting voting rights, for example, or or George, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act or any of the bills that have passed the House that continue to stall in the Senate. Part of that, the reason why it's stalling is because there are Democrats, particularly two Democrats, Mansion and cinema in the Senate who don't want to move forward on transformative policy. So it's not just Republicans, it's some Democrats as well. Yes. Now, wait, I, I want to get to the, the problem with the Democratic Party, but the, you, you located around Trump, but this obstructionism goes back to McConnell at the beginning of Obama. Trump was just merely a part of it. And really, they weren't really obstructing by the time Trump came around, but it was like, we are only a defensive party, so we don't really know what to do when we're in control. What ideas do you have? What do you, you've been defending? What do you want to do now that you're on offense? We don't really know what we want to do. We've just been in a stop Democrat mode. That's our whole thing. Own the libs, stop the Dems. Well, what, 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 what do you want to, and, and I, I mean, it seems like it, it's just, it's very difficult to have a democracy when we, we, we may 
if God forbid one of the uh, one of the right leaning uh, uh, Supreme Court justices should pass away or decide to retire, I imagine the Senate would say we're just not going to fill the seat. We've already had <laughs> tremendous monkey business around uh, the seats that we've seen in the last couple of years. Um, it, it just seems like we're we're, op- we're they're not operating in good faith. They're not. And you're right. You know, Mitch McConnell was very clear during, during Obama's presidency that he was not going to move forward any piece of legislation or be supportive at all. So it, it's definitely pre-Trump. And it's definitely as we've tried to transition or evolve into this multiracial democracy that we are, you know, white nationalists and those who support white nationalism like McConnell uh, have have pushed back against that. But the difference now, you know, like right now we have a Supreme Court justice who's retiring. Uh, The difference now is we actually have the majority in the Senate, very slim majority, but we have a majority. So we should be able to get our uh, our nominees across the finish line. Um, Whereas before it was McConnell who was in control and that was a that was a different dynamic. Um, So the reason why I say democracy is not dead yet is because what keeps it alive is people organizing and galvanizing their base locally to come out and support, you know, senatorial elections, congressional elections, and other elections. The problem we have as Democrats is we haven't done a good job of messaging, and we haven't galvanized people in a way, boots on the ground, that we need to to actually maintain the majority that we have in Congress. When you're in Congress and you know that the Senate is this dead zone, you you know, yes, Democrats have a majority as far as the Supreme Court justice, but as far as getting something real passed in terms of Medicare for all or Green New Deal or what have you, Republicans have the votes to stop anything in terms of that. So, and, and, and have already sort of pledged, like, we're going to stop everything. We're not actually, you know, there was a time when they would actually have a conversation and look yeah. to find reconciliation. And we're talking about, you know, when you, when you and I were in high school, <laughs> right? Not any time in recent history. Um, so as a, as a congressman, do you feel a sort of futility in that you have the numbers to accomplish quality legislation in the House, but if it goes to the Senate, it's not going to go anywhere. So sometimes uh, that does sink in where it's like, damn, we've done all this in the House. We've passed uh, immigration reform, um, common sense gun reform, uh, the Women's Health Protection Act to to ensure women have uh, access to reproductive health uh, in an equitable way. Uh, again, George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of this has passed the House. And it gets to the Senate and it stagnates. It doesn't move. So at times, the futility sets in. But as a member of Congress, you know, I have and we have the power of the bully pulpit. And we have the opportunity to raise our voice and push back against what the Senate is doing and not doing. And that helps to galvanize people to create pressure on senators to do the right thing. Now, it hasn't worked enough. Uh, to get thing, to get past what we want to get past, build back better is one clear example of that. And again, these are two Democrats who are stopping this from moving forward. So d- with the slim majority through the reconciliation process, to your point, we could get a lot done with just 50 votes plus the VP being a tie-breaking vote. 
It's just we got to get these two corporate Democrats on board. And the hope is the hope is uh, if we don't move what we need to move between now and November, we can win two or three more seats in the Senate, particularly in uh, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, where we have a shot where the Senate becomes mansion and cinema proof, mm-hmm. where we will be able to use the reconciliation process to pass the transformative legislation like climate legislation, child care, and the like. With mansion and cinema, is the problem the corporatism that you're referring to, which I want to talk about further, is 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 rampant in much of the Democratic Party, or is it that you have Dems who have won in red states and they understand that if I don't walk a certain line, a Republican will take my seat the next time we have an election? Yes, yeah, a combination of both, um, regardless uh, of the fact that, you know, a person wins in a red state or not. It's important to move in alignment with n- number one, what would benefit your state? And number two, what benefits the American people writ large? And if you're in a state where your where your climate, where your environment, where your economy, where your education system is near the bottom of the country, uh, there's obviously things you have to do differently for the people of your state. The corporate piece is is right in conjunction with that because the way our capitalism work it works is it's going to be winners and losers, and it's going to be losers in a very big way. So when you have concentrated wealth the way we have, you know, not since the Gilded Age have we had this level of concentrated wealth and inequality, uh, you have actors who are literally controlling how members of Congress behave, which is why we passed the For the People Act, out, excuse me, the, um, yeah, the For the People Act out the House uh, to get big money out of politics. Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Sinema, the two senators I'm referring to, They've raised more money this this cycle than they ever have in their career because of their pushback against some of the more human infrastructure investments that we've been fighting for. So it's a combination of both both those things. The last thing I would say is as a leader, you have to lead. Right. It's important for you to to have a vision for what you want your state to be, not just for yourself and your own power, but for the people in your country and excuse me, in your state and the country. And unfortunately, too many in Congress have lost sight of that. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. 
Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of Blackness. Each of NPR's Black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. It's easy for us to bash the Republican Party because they're completely dysfunctional, but there are deep problems within the Democratic Party. You're a progressive, right? I don't know if we, I, well, I wonder if we can actually get progressive leadership at the top of the Democratic Party. Bernie Sanders had a chance twice, really, a real chance the last presidential election. Um, but as usual, Democrats sort of flirt with progressivism and then they go home with a moderate, right? And, and Joe Biden is absolute moderate. Um, and it feels like those of us who are progressive kind of get ignored by the Dem- by most of the Democratic Party, you know, because they're like, well, where are you going to go? <laughs> we want to woo um, that 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 leaning. There's not much of a middle anymore, but there's a there's a Republican that can be wooed. And where are you going to go, progressive? And we'll talk a good game about Medicare for all and Green New Deal. We'll you know, we'll tell you that we're but we're not actually going to get it done. Um, what, what, what do you, what, I mean, like, do, what do progressives need to do to have real power within the democratic party? So it's not going to happen overnight, you know, Bernie and the squad and myself, you know, we kind of, well, Bernie's been there forever, uh, <laughs> laying the groundwork for what has been an explosion in the last couple of cycles, right? Not just nationally, but here in New York, I mean, we have a very progressive city council, and we have a supermajority in the state that's very progressive. So that needs to happen across the country. And what Bernie showed was a progressive at the very top of the ticket, literally running for president, can compete on the ideas and the issues, but also compete financially without taking corporate PAC money. So that scares the living daylights out of my more moderate and corporate colleagues because in their mind, money controlled everything. They have organized money, they're good. Well, now progressives can't have organized money as well. 
Um, so now it's almost an even playing field and, and, and moderates and conservatives lose on the ideas. Um, they lose on the ideas. So they can only, they can only pedal and pitch fear of change as being, you know, why someone should vote for them. But yes, I mean, we could win. We have won and we can win and we, we will become the leadership in the party. It's already happening in many ways. Um, even Speaker Pelosi, you know, was, you know, strongly encouraged to be a part of what the CPC was trying to do with Build Back Better and the infrastructure vote, keeping those two things together. together. And the president was there as well for a little bit. So it has happen, happened. It is happening. And, you know, shoot, with, with the current primaries happening in places like Texas um, and other places, we're going to have more very progressive people in Congress this cycle. Really, you feel like we could get to a place of leadership and and really shaping the legislative future of the Democratic Party? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, it's going to happen relatively soon. You know, it's, it's hard for these things to happen in a in a you know, one, two, three, five year period. But I think we have to start thinking about, okay, 10 years from now, what are our goals that we are trying to hit 10 years from now, even 20 years from now, when I'm 65, you know, kind of reflecting on the last 20 years, you know, what has happened and where's the country at that point? You know, part of me feels, even though Trump was horrible and continues to be horrible, uh, we needed that. To, to, to remind people like, you know, things aren't sweet out here. Mm. You know, it, it could immediately go to civil war status, which some of my colleagues are, are, are advocating for. So, you know, I know, I know we feel dejected in many ways because, you know, Biden hasn't done enough and the Dems need to do better, but the people need to continue to force Biden and all of us to do more for the American people. The people are ready for it the members of Congress have to catch up and do the right thing. Easy to say Trump was horrible. He was horrible. Is Biden doing a good job? He's doing a good job. Okay. Kind of, sort of, you know, it's Biden wanted to go really big with build back better as one example. And it continued to be shot down by members of Congress. So if it were up to him, Build Back Better would have been at 6.5 trillion or 3.5, whatever the number ended up being. And it would have passed the House and the Senate and we would have been moving forward with that. Um, it's not moving forward because of the two senators I'm talking about. Now, could Biden have done more to, 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 to woo them? Probably. Um, are there some backroom deals that I'm not aware of because I just got here that could have been made? Probably. Um, so Biden wanted to go big on Build Back Better. He's Congress is not letting him do that, particularly the two senators. I think Biden should and could have done more uh, in engaging the black community and communities of color around strategy, around communications, around uh, policy. Um, and then worked with Congress in alignment with what he was hearing from our community. Biden has not done a good job of engaging the black community and communities of color that got him in the office. Um, Generally, a president is going to have a big first year initiative 
and and generally Congress is going to let him do that. You know, elections have consequences, these sort of like he should get to do something. Right. And usually in the first year he's able to do something. And then his power wanes as we as we get closer to uh, reelection. What it, it was. Do you really just blame Manchin and Cinema? and what more? You know, Republicans should have been like, I will. You, you got to get something. This is a it wasn't really um, a, a, a political like a lefty righty like, you know, like like Obamacare. They were like, this completely goes against even though it was a conservative idea. This goes against what we want. You know, infrastructure is not that and we should be able to say, OK, we're going to make the whole country better. Uh, but this is not where the Republican Party is. They want you to have no victories whatsoever. But yeah. So, I mean, I lay more blame on the Republican Party, but what what about that? And what more can a Biden do to bring Manchin and Cinema along? Do you not think that he made whatever concessions he could have made to them? You know, it's interesting. So, yes, on the Republican Party, complete blame goes to them because they haven't tried to govern and, and, and work with us in good faith. Um, Biden used a lot of his political capital on the, on the bipartisan infrastructure framework. He believed that uh, passing a bipartisan piece of legislation was important for bringing the country together. And uh, I don't agree with that fully. Um, I think more political capital should have been used on moving both that and the Build Back Better bill together. Um, they should have never been decoupled. But he got that done. He got the infrastructure bill done. It's an important bill. Roads, bridges, tunnels, broadband, clean drinking water. Very important. Um, he got the American Rescue Plan done, which was critical in like responding to COVID and investing in education. And that was a big one. The third piece, Build Back Better, still hasn't gotten done, to your point about the first year. It could have gotten done if we would have done better strategically last year. It should be law right now, but it isn't. And that's where I go to those two senators. But it wasn't just that. That wasn't only, those weren't the only part of Biden's sort of, uh, and, and the country's demands. We needed to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Yeah. And that has not happened. You know, we, you know, it's like people have moved on from the fact that we watched George Floyd be lynched uh, in broad daylight in front of the country and the world rose up and we, that bill is dead in the water in the Senate uh, because of Tim Scott and Republicans. He couldn't garner 10 Republican votes. Um, you talk about common sense gun reform, which doesn't get talked about enough. Um, you, we see the rise in violence across the country. Access to guns across the country is happening because of trafficking. H.R. 8 would stop that. The Senate has not has not passed that. So there's enough blame to go around, man. Um, and, and, you know, I blame this idea that this status quo that we currently currently have and this fear of progressives and a fear of progressives is, is a fear of the American people, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, is what's driving a lot of these decisions that are being made. People do not want to lose the power they've had for decades. They don't want to share it. Um, if, and that's the big part of the problem. If you're, if you're Biden 
and Build Back Better looks like it's not going to get across the line. What do you do with mansion and cinema? Is it, you know, some sort of giving them something that gets them over the line? I mean, like, it's not just being tough. Some people are like, just be tough. Like, he can't call them into the Oval Office and yell at them. Like, that's not going to do anything. That's not politics. But it's it's quite often, you know, the sort of horse trading. But was there, I mean, like, at a major initiative, was there nothing that he could give them that would make it worthwhile for them? I think there is. I don't know what that is, but there has to be. I mean, look at what we we gave in terms of the infrastructure framework. We allowed many things that are either climate neutral or climate regressive to be a part of that bill. We allowed many things that are corporate giveaways to be a part of that bill. Not what the American people wanted, but what the special interests wanted. And Manchin's a part of that. So they got it on that bill. So in terms of Build Back Better, you know, uh, Manchin had a number, 1.5. Okay, if it's 1.5, then what's a part of that 1.5, right? What do we, what was 1.5 trillion look like? Um, and and let's, let's start there and move on that. Um, but right now, Manchin is saying it's dead. So I don't. I don't know how that is. With the United States government, we have all the, all the resources in the world. I'm sure there's something the president can negotiate to get the two of them on board. It, it, deeper than, I think the Democratic Party, though, has a deeper problem in terms of its relationship to uh, corporatism and, and corporate America, right? Most Democrats, especially in the Senate, are too deeply shaped by what the, the wealthy and what corporate America wants agreed i mean we we've given we we've over the last several decades it's not a new thing corporate america pretty much dictates how many of my colleagues behave if not most of them because of big money and politics because of dark money uh because many of my almost all of my colleagues take corporate pack money and this belief that the private industry is going to preserve and nurture our democracy, that is wrong, especially in the way it's currently designed. Um, it's not. So all of our policy aligns to, even democratic policy aligns to, making sure corporate America is robust so that they can create jobs and create the economy. I believe in a more entrepreneurial state, if you will, where legislators and Congress can can build industry, can can have a vision for economic development, invest in that, and then reap the benefits of that. We invest in corporate America from Congress, and then corporate America does everything it can to dodge taxes, and then we don't even get to reap the the tax rewards of it because there are tax havens over here and, you know, Apple and Tesla and others pay zero corporate, uh, uh, federal tax. So we're not even, we're not being the visionary uh, federal government that we used to be when we said, hey, listen, we want to put a man on the moon. Let's, let's get that done and let's invest in that. We should be investing in, you know, a federal jobs guarantee. We should be making sure that all of our communities that we redlined 
we reinvest in them through reparations so that they can build up their own communities, universal health care, dealing with the climate catastrophe that we're living in. The Congress needs to be a visionary leader in, in, in these areas, but we're not because, again, you know, the corporate interests control how things work. Yeah, I love those ideas. Um, how is the job different than you expected it to be? Um, so how is it different? Uh, like you had a vision of Congress before yeah. you ran. Now you're <laughs> in a... the sausage baking machine. <laughs> yeah. So I used to be in education prior to coming to Congress. Right. And as a, as an educator, as a principal, your job is to obviously educate children, keep them safe, but ultimately your job is to solve problems. Identify a problem, diagnose it, understand it, and then solve it. In Congress and in politics, politics gets in the way of that way too often. And, you know, it's a relationship business, which I'm fine with, but too often people are caught up in their ideology or their feelings or their ego and they lose sight of, you know, we have, you know, 20% of children living in poverty. You know, like how, how can we celebrate ourselves as a nation when you have that many people in poverty, when you have millions of people who are unhoused, when you have a mental health crisis where, where suicide rates are through the roof since COVID et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So for me, it's about people and, 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 and problems and solving them. And the what does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. You usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alameen a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Politics and the power-hungry aspect of it gets in the way of us actually doing the work. So that's been frustrating for me. Um, it's just been, you know, less about the work and more about the ego and, 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 and literally the corruption driving 
how we make decisions in our day-to-day work. And, and that's, that's anti-democracy and anti-the American people. You talk about having been a teacher. Most of your congressional colleagues are not former teachers. They're former <laughs> lawyers and, you know, what, ha- I mean, they're rich people. Most of the people in Congress come from the upper class um, and, you know, you didn't, how is that shaping Congress in a way that you as a person who's coming from, you know, the middle class or what have you is like, guys, you guys are rich people. You don't understand <laughs> the way things are for real people. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm vice chair of, of the education and labor, um, committee, which is a, a great honor. And I love working on that committee. I'm also a member of the Science, Space, and Tech Committee, and I'm chair of the Energy Subcommittee there. And particularly on that committee, you know, as we think about, you know, investments in science and technology, um, investments in manufacturing, uh, you know, competition with other countries, et cetera, my colleagues rarely, if ever, think about the equity pieces of this and how, like, as we talk about this stuff, how is this money going to be invested in the North Bronx, in Mount Vernon, in Yonkers, in New Rochelle, places in my district where you drive through and you almost feel like it's it's the it's the 1970s, you know, burning buildings in the South Bronx where there's been so much disinvestment over, over decades. So it's my job to make sure that, you know, through my amendments and conversations, that as we talk about, you know, American competitiveness, you, you better not leave, you know, black and brown folk out of that conversation and poor folk out of that conversation. So that's been that's been a good thing. You know, it's, it's been important for me to lend my voice and experience to, to these policies so that they can be equitable. My grandmother lived in New Rochelle for a long time. So, uh, you know, I have, I have a soft spot for that that place. Um I feel like the COVID response has been consistently driven by politics rather than science, rather than what the medical community is saying needs to happen. And we have red states pursuing one path, which is basically built on a notion of like, if we pretend it's not a big problem, then it's not a big problem. Um, and you know, most blue states pursuing an, a different path. Um, it, it would have been great if we could have gotten some things like a universal basic income for folks, you know, an actual, uh, you know, ongoing sort of rent freeze for folks. Cause there was a long time when people could not work and we were telling people don't leave your homes. Um, there's a lot of workers who are still suffering cause people aren't going to restaurants as much in other places. Um, what what can we and now we're taking down mask requirements in a lot of places, even though the scientists are like, I don't know if it's time to do that. <laughs> like, what, what what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, uh, complete uh, political conversation when it comes to mask and vaccine mandates, uh, especially for our schools and, you know, again, I hate to go back to this guy, but we had a a cowboy in, in office for <laughs> for four years who was all about bravado and beating your chest and we're going to out 
tough the, the, the virus and, and Republican leaders across the country latched on to that. And, and many of the American people latched on to that as well. So, uh, um, that was that was that was the beginning of the problem. This 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 you know beat your chest. We're going to out tough the virus, um, and yeah, there was you know we called for and we 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 recently called for another COVID relief package, um, and some Republicans are on board with that. So we'll see where that goes. We from the beginning, not just my office, but many progressives were calling for monthly paychecks to people. Uh, so that they can stay afloat. We called for rent freezes and all of that. And what's interesting about about this, you know, Republicans are pushing back and conservatives are pushing back. What we've seen is we because of the child tax credit, for one example, as one example, in addition to other things, uh, poverty dropped dramatically. Wages went up and inflation wasn't as big of a deal when we were helping people. But now we've stopped helping people and inflation is still a real thing. And it's not because of government investment. It's because of supply chain shortages and price gouging. So what do we need to do? We need to continue to help people so they can afford to survive and live. The last thing I'll say is, in spite of all of this, uh, since Democrats have taken control, the control of all three uh, you know, chambers of government, if you will, we've had the healthiest and fastest growing economy that we've had in decades um, because of many of the policies, including the American Rescue Plan. So, yeah, man, you know, we, we've had this collective sort of trauma of COVID and, and you know, a lot of people are struggling with, with that and even struggling with the reality of this deadly illness. And if we were, if we did have a universal approach to it, we would have saved hundreds of thousands of lives, yeah. um, particularly yeah. in, in these red states. Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like Republicans stand against all these moves to help people through COVID because they want the country to suffer so that when, when election time comes, they can say, look, the country is suffering. Look, Biden and, you know, Bowman and whoever you got has failed to deal with COVID. And the average viewer is not getting the message of like, well, you know, they tried to give you monthly checks, but Republicans stood against that. They tried to mandate this and that, and Republicans stood against that. Uh, so they stand in the way of progress and then say, look, progress hasn't been made. You can't vote for them. Yeah, Republicans uh, exhibit chaos leadership. Mm. Um, Trump was the epitome of that, uh, but Republicans are following suit. So the more chaos and confusion the more you begin to question the reality and the more you go into self-preservation mode and stop engaging. And the more, the less people engage, the more power they have, because again, they can't win on the ideas. So they have to win through fear. So you're right. It's really, 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 really important for us as Democrats over the next several months, especially to communicate very clearly that whatever is not being done and whatever you do not have is because Republicans have not allowed us to do it. It's been obstruction. They're governing through chaos and governing through obstruction. 
And it's a national coordinated campaign of fear. That's what it is. And we need to elevate that and, and shine a bright light on that. You, uh, when the one six insurrection happened, you were not yet inaugurated, right? Three days before I was sworn in. I was sworn before. in on January 3rd. Yeah. So you were in the Capitol that day. I was in my office. My colleagues, some of my colleagues were in the Capitol. Yeah. You were in your office. So you weren't there. Correct. It was like right across the street. So, did so you, if they wanted to turn around and come to my office, they could have done that. Yes. So did you feel under threat that day or? or oh, hell yeah. <laughs> well, well, like, the, tell me what that Absolutely. day was like for you. Yeah. So we were told to get to the office early um, because uh, we knew there was going to be a Trump rally and we know how those rallies can get crazy. So we were told to get to the office early and remain in the office throughout the day while we certify the election results. So we were told to do that. So I stop at a cafe, get my, my breakfast sandwich and coffee, and I go to the office. When I come out the cafe, I see someone dragging a giant wooden cross down the street, getting ready for this Trump rally. So that, that, was, just, that was the tone that was set from the beginning. Did that sort of so strike was, some fear in you? Like, this is well, a little well, crazy? Well, 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 not fear. Just like, holy shit. Like, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell is about to happen? Like, you know, I, I, I watched Mississippi Burning and read history books. And, you know, I know a little bit about history. And this was that, right? I mean, we saw the, the noose erected outside the Capitol to hang Mike Pence. So it, it was on and popping uh, for them. But I was in my office, thank God, safe most of the day watching it on TV, like like most of us. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, my thinking was, and at one point I tried to leave my office and leave the area because I'm like, man, if they turn around, and come over here. There's not. There's nothing that we have. Like two officers downstairs. There's nothing to stop them from getting to us. Uh, but unfortunately, we were on lockdown, and I couldn't leave at that point. But yeah, it was pretty. It's pretty crazy, man. It's 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 hairy. It's scary as hell when you're like that. Because I'm watching from Brooklyn, and I'm like, wow, they're going crazy down there. You're yeah. like, yo, if I, I mean, it. it I can, you can, can you see them out your window? Not, not out my window, but out of windows in my building. Yes, you could, you could see, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's literally across the street we're talking about. So yeah, if they just wanted to come to the office, uh, they, they could have. And the thing, the thing that many people don't know is we were all under threat after that for several weeks. What do you right? mean? Like, like, like death threats to our to our offices, letters, uh, social media. Like many of us had security after that for a week or longer, and some of my colleagues still have full time security right now because of that. So it's real. And in my district, two of the uh, white nationalist groups actually were founded in my district. Uh, Project Veritas and the Proud Boys. They're both uh, out of Marinick. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. We think that it's not in New York City. It's in the South, it's in the Midwest, but no, it's in New York City as well. Um, that's right. 
it feels like one six has not elicited a sufficient amount of justice. There has not been enough arrests. The people who are who are convicted have not been going away for long enough. And obviously this was inspired by the leadership, not just Trump, but other people telling them over and over the election was stolen. You need to do something. And nothing is happening in terms of justice for the leadership of this uh, horrendous event. Are, are you frustrated? Do you understand like why we're not getting justice? Is there something that, that, that the, that we can do the DOJ or whatever can do to like make this, it, it doesn't seem like the message is like, yeah. don't ever do this again. Like, look, look, <laughs> yeah. look, look what's going to happen to you. Yeah. Well, first of all, how, how did they breach Capitol police in the first place? Like how did that even, right. You would think that the Capitol would be unbreachable. Um, especially knowing that there was going to be a Trump rally and knowing the stakes of that day, how were they able to breach law enforcement? You know, one of the reasons why we introduced our first piece of legislation, the, the Cool Act, uh, Congressional Oversight of Unjust Policing Act, is because we found out that the FBI had information that this might happen. They shared that information with the sergeant at arms who communicated that to uh, leadership, but yet and still, we were not prepared for a potential breach. And again, we contrasted it at that time with Black Lives Matter protesters during the George Floyd justice and police, police that we had tear gas, mm-hmm. people on offices, on horses, mm-hmm. military grade uh, uh, defense ready to go. Um, but good thing about it is there is a there's a January 6th commission that is doing a thorough investigation. And we hope at the end of this investigation that there will be some some huge consequences. But to your point, man, it, it's there's so much of a disconnect between what we do in Congress and how we talk about it and, and how it resonates with the American people. For the American people, it's just like it doesn't it doesn't do a good enough job of resonating to the point where they feel like we uh, had an appropriate response to that. And that's our challenge. And that's our, our duty to make sure the American people feel like, all right, an insurrection happened. Those people got what they deserved. And right now that's not the case. I mean, it seems insane that Trump can lead an insurrection, a violent insurrection to overturn an election based on a lie and be eligible, not just eligible, but the, right now he's the leading candidate for or the presidential nomination nomination in, in 2024. Yeah, man. It's like the psychosis of America, man. <laughs> it's like, what the heck is going on, man? How do we let a reality TV bigot get in the White House in the first place. It, it just, I mean, this is why there needs to be a, a mass re-education of the country and, 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 and historic leadership to step up to, to move us in the right direction. Yeah, man, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's bananas, man. QAnon, Trump, uh, Republicans, 
corporate Dems. Um, and, and, and just to be clear, like no one's anti, you know, corporations per se. But when you have policies in place that treat corporations as people and money as free speech, right. you no longer have a democracy. Right. So and you no longer have competition, which is how this capitalism thing is supposed to work. We have a monopoly. Large corporations have a monopoly on the country, not the small business mom and pops lifeblood of the country, which we're supposed to have in place, man. So the, the system is 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 rigged and corrupt and screwed up in many ways. And it's people like us trying to change it, brother. I'm glad you started with the word that lists with the word education, because I think that a lot of people on the right who are supporting the, the, the ideas and the policies and the people who we stand against are being educated or miseducated by Fox News, Sean Hannity on the radio, um, you know, QAnon, what they're getting from Facebook to where the world appears entirely different to them. You know, when we were growing up, the newspaper looked the same to you and to a housewife in 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 Phoenix, right? We got the same newspaper and there was a similar judgment of like, you know, this is what now what you read on Facebook is entirely different then what I would read, what you see on Fox News is entirely different than what we see in terms of CNN and MSNBC. And they are not getting an honest appraisal of what is going on in the world and the news. I always think about this, how there's so many things that Republicans believe that are core values to what they're doing legislatively and electorally that are based on lies that are based on things that a community, the entire community of experts would say, no, that's not true. You know, we do not have immigrants streaming across the border, taking jobs and creating crime. Uh, you know, climate science is real. You know, the election was not stolen. COVID is not a hoax. You know, mask mandates are not the problem. And yet all these sort of, you know, racism is real. All these sort of things are stand against what they believe because they're being miseducated by their news sources. Yes. And, and they're fighting to be more miseducated by attacking so-called critical race theory. Oh, come on. Uh, and Hell school yeah. boards and states across the country. It's like yeah. we're, we're fighting to be further <laughs> misled and further miseducated because we don't want to talk about this race thing. Right. It, it's, it's scary when you think about it, especially on the other side of that, when you see over 50 percent of Republicans believe in a big lie um, and, and tens of millions believe that, you know, if they need to take out, take up arms to defend their freedom, then they are willing to do so. And by freedom, they mean white nationalism. And some have gone as far as to say fascism. So it's scary, man. And, and, and one of the things and, you know, me as a former educator and, and being on the vice chair of the NLA Labor Committee, you know, we're, we're, we're pushing national education conversations to hopefully recapture the hearts and minds and, and the spirit of what it means to, to be human and what it means to be uh, informed, uh, properly informed. When you when you I mean, we have states 
banning books, man. Like, what is this? What Fahrenheit. Is that? What's the name of that movie? Yeah, Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit 9/11. Fortnite. Yeah, no, Fahrenheit 9/11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not Fahrenheit 9/11. The one with uh, the remake with uh, Michael B. Jordan. Fahrenheit 418 or something. For anyway, a movie <laughs> where they were banning, where they were burning books, and and it's like we're banning books and burning books instead of reading books and having in having discourse. 451, Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> Instead of having discourse about the content of the book where you can agree or disagree with it, the point is reading is really important <laughs> to but, democracy and to your development. But you can't that, be banning it, it, books. That's true, but we also have, we keep coming back to this notion of bad faith republicanism. You have colleagues who are going out and telling people the election was stolen. And I am certain that these people know that the election was not stolen. And yet they go out and say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. Cause then, cause that's a good point. Like, do they, do they really believe it was stolen? No, I don't think they like, no. right. Like, do you no. right? Do you really believe they think it was stolen? Yeah, I, I don't. They can't believe that. I mean, I yeah, they can't believe it. But again, when the goal is power and power to control the masses, mm-hmm. then you will lie, cheat, and steal to gain that power. Especially when that power threatens. Your 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 caste status mm. as a white male. If your if, if if what we're doing threatens that, you you'll Do die anything. for that. Have because you, because that has been your foundation for your entire existence. Have you ever talked to Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert? No, nah, man. Uh, <laughs> no, I have not. No, uh, and I don't even. Uh, Do I want to? No, I don't think so, man. It, it, they put some dangerous stuff out there, man. I mean, they, they're making commercials with nine millimeters. Talking about I'm carrying. I got to walk through metal detectors every day to vote because of those two. Right. Because they want to bring guns onto the House floor. I mean, there's uh, there's not that many people in the House. <laughs> right. I, I would imagine eventually. 435. 435. Right. right. So, yeah. I mean, like, eventually you would have to interact, Right. Well, it's it's segregation, man. I mean, Republicans are on one side, <laughs> Democrats on the other. So and especially because of COVID, you know, we, we're kind of in and out when we vote. So we go vote and we leave because of COVID. Um, so if there weren't COVID, we would we would interact. I mean, I do interact with some with some Republicans, um, have some conversations. Some of them are cool, man, you know, especially the ones who voted to certify the elections and didn't vote to overturn the election. They're, they're, they're deep. They're decent people. Right. Um, but the others are, they're just peddling fear and hate. It's scary, man. I'm not, I don't want that energy around me, man. Do, do you want to continue in this job? Yeah. I mean, I mean like <laughs> yes. just, just that now that you've gotten inside and you see yeah. how crazy things are, like you know, and how hard it is for you to make a difference. You you yeah, still I mean, want to do it? Well, so yes, and you know, and I learned this in education. You're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna save everybody, for lack of a better term, right? Like you're not gonna change everyone's mind. 
But the fact that I get to do good work in my district and bring resources to the district and and engage in conversations and, and, and dialogue and and learning with the district as part of this, especially, you know, I'm in a district where if you're black or brown, you're more likely to live in poverty and have asthma, diabetes, heart disease, et cetera. They finally feel a part of the conversation because the I'm the first black person to be in this seat in US history. So that right there is like we're 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 building collective power in a way where we've never done before. So be a part to be a part of that um and to help our kids and all that. I mean that's just it's an incredible incredible privilege. Is so you said that your wife didn't want you to run <laughs> or was against this whole thing for a while. Is that true? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. When I asked her about it, uh, she she didn't say no, but she didn't say yes either. And I took it as a yes. <laughs> Husbands are did, not supposed <laughs> to do that. If she doesn't say yes, it's not a yes. <laughs> it's not a yes, and I took it as a yes. Um, and it wasn't until after where she told me, uh, not only did I think you were crazy, but I thought you were going to get destroyed like she thought i was going to get crushed and and embarrassed um and then it came out the other way so so so, that's right so now she's a bit more confident in 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 what we're trying to build here well you were running against a 16 time incumbent incumbency is extremely powerful in these things um you know but i I mean i could see i could can you can you locate something or some of the things that you did that allowed you to defeat a, a, a long, long time incumbent, which it does not normally happen? Yeah, um, th- not one thing. There were many things. Um, direct voter engagement was a priority for us. So we knocked on hundreds of thousands of doors multiple times um, to just listen to people and, and, and understand what was going on in their lives. Uh, and then at some point, ultimately ask, will you vote for me? You know, and, and started literally counting votes, positive IDs. So that was a big deal. Um, we also had a huge volunteer operation. Um, made well over a million phone calls to people again, two, three, four touches, uh, just to make sure that, you know, people knew we were there and we cared and, you know, we needed their support. Um, and then, you know, again, money is always a big part of it. So, you know, when you're running for office, you got to call a lot of people and ask for money. Um, and because we weren't taking corporate PAC money, um, so we weren't going to take money from Lockheed Martin or, or, you know, some corporation. It was all small dollar donations, man. So we, we had to make a lot of calls and, and, and do those things. And, and but ultimately, we believed that we were relentless um, and we had a vision. So it wasn't about, you know, how bad the incumbent was. It was a little bit about that, maybe 10%. The other 90% was the vision. But it seemed... The vision for what was possible. But they... Was it true that they hadn't really seen him was he complacent and yeah. you were energized yeah that too right so he was there for 31 years um you know you get comfortable Ap- apathy sets in 
He didn't live in the district, which is a huge uh, red flag. Um, and yeah, I was I was visible, and, and you know, and I worked in the district for ten years as a middle school principal. So I had a reputation in education for being being a, a, a good, a decent person uh, and decent educator. So and you had I think that and, was you'd, helpful as and well. you touched, uh, you'd been in the lives of. Hundreds and hundreds of people, students who have grown up, become voters, their parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, we, we've graduated, I mean, in 10 years, you know, we, we graduated, you know, that's about a thousand kids that we've graduated over that 10 years and, and thousands more that we've touched and their families and what have you. I mean, just now I'm, I'm coming to you from, I'm about to start my dentist appointment. I'm in a dentist office right now in Midtown Manhattan. And uh, I go get a coffee and the, 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 the young lady at the register is like, oh, that's my middle school principal. Hey, Mr. Bowman. So they didn't account for that. And I'm not even in the district. I'm in Manhattan, right? But right. like when you work in education for 20 years and you're a middle school principal for 10 years, you touch thousands tens of thousands of lives. And I, I had a good feeling that at least 90%, maybe more would have good things to say. <laughs> not everyone, not everyone, most but I, I figured so most of them would have good things to say. You love Wu-Tang. Who are your, who's your favorite <laughs> MC in the Wu-Tang clan? Uh, Ghostface. Yes. Uh, Go- Ghostface killer, man. Uh, that's hard though. Because uh, you got Ghost, you got Deck, you got Meth, you got RZA, you got Jizza. I mean, it's just too much. They come with so much heat. I went back recently and listened to Immobilarity, Raekwon's second album. Uh-huh. And I remember when it came out being upset that it wasn't more like only built for Cuban links. Uh-huh. But I just listened to it recently. I'm like, yo, that joint is off the hook. <laughs> Shout out to Raekwon. Uh, Raekwon, my bad. Yo, a lot of people didn't get it at that time, but it was bang. But Ghost, Ghostface is my guy. Ghostface is in- incredible. The sound of the voice, the things he says, he's incredible. I- I've had some incredible interviews with him. Um, he had diabetes and didn't know it and had voices in his head telling him to like jump out the car as they're driving down the highway, jump out the the window when they're up high in the projects. Cause like, you know, the diabetes was, was, was eating him up, you know, and creating mental health issues. Um, and you know, now he's aware and he like treats it properly. But like when he went, when they were making only built for Cuban links and he was first, blowing up he was dealing with serious issues and yeah, um yeah you know he didn't he didn't know he didn't know. that's right and and he literally uh went to the bush in africa to help with his healing i don't know if he talked about that but i read that somewhere where he like had to go to africa and kind of like reset his, his 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 physiology um and, and he talks about how you know, that was during the Iron Man album. So he had, he struggled through that because of the diabetes and he finally got control of it on the Supreme Clientele album, which is like one of my top 10 albums, Supreme You're, Clientele. Well, what's your number one album? Uh, ever? Uh, yeah. Illmatic. Illmatic. Um, yeah, Illmatic. I mean, Illmatic is like, Illmatic is like the Bible, man. It's like, it's like, it's just like, 
you know, you remember, right? We had the Rakim, Karis One, G Rap, Kane era. Mm-hmm. But then it started to pivot and become more of just like a party culture, mm-hmm. you know, gin and juice era. Nothing wrong with that. That was great. But it went away from lyrics. And then Nas came back as like Jesus to reestablish, okay, this is about <laughs> lyrics and poetry. So Illmatic would be number one. Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, only built for Cuban links. Wu-Tang Forever, you know, Doggy Style, Chronic. They're all up there. You're speaking my language, man. That's 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 my era. I love all of those and hold them in deep, uh, deep regard. L- last thing, um, uh, what is your, what is your superpower? What is the thing that you do better than other people that's led to the success that you've had? Man, I don't know. You gotta ask somebody else that question. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I would. I think it's my empathy. Mm. Um, I think it's, I think it's empathy, um, because as an educator, your empathy allows you to really connect with students and families and people, and it allows you to learn at the highest level and the best educators are learners first. So the more you learn about your kids, the better you can provide instruction to them. So when I meet new people, uh, and engage with them, I, I, I come with empathy first so that I can be open and authentic. Um, and I think that has helped me to sort of navigate an arena that isn't often about empathy. Thanks so much to Congressman Bowman for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because You can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editors, Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Karp. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.